Our Bible reading this afternoon comes from Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to be reading the verses 1 to 18. So I'd encourage you to look that up, and the words will also be up on the screen behind me. Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realised that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what, was fulfilled, uh, sorry, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Amen. So my friends, as you can gather from our uh, reading this afternoon, we're returning to our, our attention to... Christmas, and uh, as we do, we're going to begin with a very short video, so I'll ask Tom to put that on now. Stole Christmas by Dr. Seuss. <laughs> Every Who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot. But the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. 
The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Now please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be, perhaps, that his shoes were too tight. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. I'm very sure that uh, most, if not all of you, have uh, heard of this fictional character called the Grinch. He was created by Dr. Zeus way back in 1957 when he first appeared in the famous children's book, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And since then, his popularity has been much revived through the movie of the same name starring Jim Carrey in 2000 and then also the animated version starring Benedict Cumberbatch in 2018. However, as you've just seen, the most notable thing about the Grinch, the thing that made him stand out from the crowd, was that he absolutely hated Christmas. He lived in a town called Whoville, where, where all of the residents just loved to celebrate the festive season. They'd, each give, they'd give each other gifts, they'd have a great feast, and they would sing and sing and sing. But the Grinch, well, he just couldn't stand it. And so he desperately tried to ruin it for everyone else. But he wasn't the first one to hate Christmas, was he? For in the passage we just read from the Gospel of Matthew, we meet someone else who stands out from the crowd. Someone else who just couldn't bear that first festive season. Of course, when talking now about that time some 2,000 years ago, when Jesus, the Messiah, the, the very Son of God, was born into our world, we're talking about the original event which is at the very heart of this entire Christmas season. And it was a time of enormous happiness. This morning, Reuben reminded us of Zechariah and Elizabeth, who were overjoyed because their son, John, would prepare the way for Jesus' coming. And do you remember how Mary and Joseph rejoiced when they realised that they were given the privilege of giving birth to the Saviour of the world? Do you remember how the angels came and praised and worshipped God as they announced the good news of the baby who had been born? And how the shepherds glorified the Lord when they heard their wonderful message? And what about Simeon and also Anna, who both saw the baby Jesus at the temple? And they were filled with thanksgiving because they knew that God's promises were fulfilled. And in the passage we've just read together, there's also those magi, those wise men from the east who came to worship the infant in Bethlehem. Overall, it was a time of great celebration and rejoicing and gladness. But yet, in the midst of it all, we find one person, who is very different to the rest. Now, you will not ever find this person pictured on your Christmas cards or there in your nativity scenes. You won't ever hear of him mentioned in any of your Christmas carols. 
But yet, here he is, right in the middle of the action. And he is, in fact, the most prominent character in the passage that we're looking at today. So who are we talking about? We're talking about King Herod. At the beginning of Matthew chapter 2, we're told how the Magi came to Jerusalem looking for baby Jesus. But in verse 3, it says this, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When Herod heard of the birth of Jesus, he wasn't happy like all the others. Instead, he was troubled. He was upset, and all Jerusalem with him. They were not disturbed because of Jesus. They were disturbed because Herod was disturbed. Because they knew that when this man got upset, then everybody suffered. But I want to ask you, have you ever wondered just why it is that King Herod was so incredibly unhappy and distressed just because a little baby had been born? Seems so strange, doesn't it? Have you ever wondered why he was so troubled? even to the point of wanting to murder that baby and ultimately committing mass infanticide? Have you ever wondered why, like the Grinch, this man so vehemently hated Christmas? Well, unlike the Grinch, we do know the reason. And it wasn't because his heart was two sizes too small, but it was because his pride was two sizes too big. But to really understand that, we need to know a little bit more about this man and the times in which he lived. You see, if we go way back to the 6th century BC, the people of God, the the remaining nation of Israel, they were defeated by the Babylonian Empire who carried them off into exile. But later, the Babylonians, they were taken over by the Persian Empire. And the Persians allowed the remaining Jews to return to their land, even though they remained under foreign occupation. And that was the situation in the time of Malachi, the book we've been looking at in recent weeks in our morning services. Later still, these Persians were defeated by the Greek Empire. And during their time, a large number of Jews broke free and gained independence once more. But then in the year 146 BC, the Greeks were defeated by the Roman Empire. And eventually the Romans, they recaptured this independent Jewish territory and they brought them back under their own oppressive regime. And so the Israelites again were living in occupied territory ruled over by a foreign power, ruled by their enemies. And as a result of that, the Romans needed to put someone in charge who would keep them under control. And so in the year 37 BC, the person they put in charge was Herod. Herod was an associate of Julius Caesar. He was a close friend of Mark Antony. And he was appointed by Rome to be the king of the Jews. In many ways, Herod was a great leader. 
and his accomplishments were many. He built a magnificent palace in Jerusalem. He built impressive monuments, theatres and harbours, imposing fortresses and many altars to pagan deities. And his greatest project, in fact, was the rebuilding of the Jewish temple. But at the same time, Herod was also a terrible leader because he was utterly consumed with pride. He was so fond of himself and his achievements and his kingdom that he had become incredibly paranoid. He was constantly on guard for anyone he perceived as a threat to himself and he would go to any lengths in order to deal with them. And so we know from history that as a result of that, he killed one of his own wives, Miramne, and he also killed three of his own sons. He killed his mother-in-law, his brother-in-law, his uncle. He killed many Jewish leaders, both political and religious, anyone he felt was opposing him. But that helps us to understand what's, what's really going on here in our text. For we're told in verses 1 and 2 that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. You see, my friends, these Magi, they weren't looking for just any baby. No, they were looking for the one born King of the Jews. But can you imagine Herod's reaction to that? For he himself was the King of the Jews, not some baby in the back blocks of Bethlehem. If there was any worshipping to be done, then that worship should be directed toward him. And so I guess that anyone in his position would have been concerned about this news. But then add to that his paranoia and add to that his pride. And we can quickly see why the arrival of these magi caused him to be so greatly disturbed. And so he made plans to get this Jesus out of his life. Plans to kill this rival to his throne. He starts in verse 4 by calling together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law and asking them where the Messiah was to be born. He knew that the Jews had this messianic expectation that they were waiting for God's king and so he subtly inquired as to where that king would be born. And they told him, quoting from Micah, Verses 5 and 6, it says, In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So, having determined where the child was born, he next sought to determine when the child was born. We're told, verse 7, that he called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. 
And verse 16 reveals that the answer was a date somewhere within the last two years. And so, armed with this information, he then plotted a way to lay his hands on Jesus. Verse 8, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And thus, his devious scheme was set in motion. But yet, there was a problem. For while the Magi indeed located Jesus, verse 12 says that having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And then in verse 13, we're told when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And that's exactly what Joseph and Mary did. Staying in Egypt till Herod died, thus saving Jesus' life and fulfilling the words of the prophet Hosea, out of Egypt I called my son. But Herod, of course, knew nothing of their secret escape. And so there's one last tragic twist in this story. Verse 16, when when Herod realised that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And this too, we are told, was the fulfilment of prophecy, the words of Jeremiah. And so, in his evil rage, King Herod slaughtered every infant boy in the region of Bethlehem. There must have been dozens of them at the very least. Can you imagine how terrible, how tragic that must have been? But my friends, this shows us just how far this wicked man was willing to go to protect his own power and position, to protect his throne and his precious kingdom. That's how enormous his pride and his arrogance really were. That's how deeply he was disturbed at the birth of Jesus. That's how much he truly hated Christmas. But friends, we need to ask ourselves, what can we learn from all this? What is God's message to us in these verses today? Well, the thing that we need to understand is that Herod, he's not really all that different to us. For while we may not be kings ruling over a a vast nation, just like him, we do all have a kingdom. Every single one of us has a realm over which we seek to rule and exert influence, that makes us feel important and powerful, that provides us with pleasure and purpose. Every single one of us has a small part of this world which we seek to protect and control. The boundaries of our kingdoms are basically the parameters of our own life and everything that consists of. 
Your kingdom includes your family, your children, your friendships. It includes your home and possessions and money, your daily work or your business or your studies. It includes your leisure and your holidays and your hobbies. It includes your ministries and the part you play in the church. It includes your image and your reputation, your values and your opinions and your motivations, your desires and your priorities and your plans for the future. Every one of us has a kingdom over which we rule. And just like Herod, we can be so very fond of the things that we have, of this life that we have set up for ourselves. But just like Herod, our kingdom is under threat. For you see, my friends, when Jesus was born into this world all those years ago, he most certainly came to be our redeemer, our rescuer, our saviour. Matthew 1 verse 21, the angel said, you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is God's solution to our most fundamental problem. He came to free us from the curse of sin and death and hell, to reconcile us to our loving creator, to give us the life that we have always been made for and to open the door of heaven so that we can go in. And he did all of this through his perfect, righteous life and his painful, sacrificial death. For it was on the cross that Jesus took our place and purchased our salvation. And all we need to do is believe. But what we must understand is that he also came to be our king. That's why in Matthew chapter 1, his genealogy is a genealogy of royalty. That's why in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus begins his ministry proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he preaches the laws and the, and the values of that kingdom. My friends, that's why in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus enters into Jerusalem in a royal procession, fulfilling the words of Zechariah, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey. That's why in Matthew chapter 27, his criminal conviction was for claiming kingship. And he was mocked with the robe and the crown and the homage of a king. And ultimately, he was crucified under a sign which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. When Jesus Christ was born, he came to be our saviour, but he also came to be our king. But this is more than just words. This is more than just a meaningless cliché. This is a truth that has very deep implications. Because, my friends, if Jesus truly is our Lord and King, then that means that we must submit to him. It means that we must worship him. It means that we must surrender every part of our lives to him. 
In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In Matthew chapter chapter 10, he says, Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. If Jesus truly is our King, then we absolutely must enthrone him in our hearts and in our lives. We need to stop trusting in ourselves and put all our hope in him. We need to stop living for ourselves and give our lives for him. We need to stop chasing our own priorities and put him first in everything we do. If Jesus is king, then he rules over our families and our homes He rules over our spending and our spare time. He rules over our attitudes and our opinions. He rules over our decisions and our desires. If Jesus truly is Lord, my friends, then we need to climb down off our own throne and put him in his rightful place. But then the question remains is, will we? For there are plenty of people in this world, are there not, who are just like Herod. They're so fond of their own kingdoms, so enamoured with what they have built, so full of arrogance and pride that they will do anything to protect what they have. And so they want Jesus to stay right out of it. And they'll do whatever it takes to keep him away. And so like Herod, when they hear the Christmas message... And by that, I mean the true Christmas message about the birth of God's king. Well, it leaves them feeling disturbed. But what about us? Are you still clinging to an earthly kingdom? Perhaps you like the idea of Jesus, but you want to keep him at a distance. Perhaps you're happy for him to save you, but not so happy for him to rule over you. And so he better not disturb my my comfort and my leisure. That's, That's for me. He better not think that he's more important than my family and my friends because they come first in my life. He better not interfere with my career ambitions. He better not think he's going to touch my money. He better not expect to take up too much of my time. I wonder... Are there things in your life that you're still loving more than Jesus? That you serve and value and cling to more than him? Is there something preventing you from truly enthroning him as the Lord of your life? If there is, then I want to urge you to consider, reconsider this today. For Jesus, my friends, is God's promised King who came to save us from sin, who came to give us life everlasting, 
But God's king demands a response. He cannot be ignored. And how crazy it would be to act like Herod, to madly hold on to a fleeting earthly kingdom, all the while forfeiting a glorious heavenly one. How crazy to let your own pride get in the way of eternal life. And so I urge you instead to respond like those magi from the east. For when they learned of Jesus' birth, they left everything to go and find him. And verses 10 and 11 tell us, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Oh, friends, let us not be like Herod, or the Grinch for that matter. Let us not hate the true message of Christmas, but let us embrace it. Let us rejoice in it. Let us love it with all our hearts. For this, my friends, is the time to remember the coming of our Saviour and our Lord. Let us celebrate and let's be glad. Let us praise and let us worship. And let us give Jesus our very best. Let us give him our all this Christmas as we seek to enthrone him as the king in our lives. Let's pray. Dear Lord God and loving Father, we don't often think about Herod, a man who valued his own kingdom and sought to protect it at all costs. Father, we pray tonight, let us not be like him. Help us to see that Jesus is our saviour, that he saves us by your grace. But let us see that he also came to be our Lord and that we must love him and serve him and worship him and follow him. For Father, how could we not when we know the true extent of his love for us and the price he paid for our salvation. Father in heaven, help us to follow the example of those magi, giving Jesus our very best in every part of our lives. And Father, as we do that, may we come to know the true joy of serving our King. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.